Welcome to the Immigration Hour today. Uh, Cook Baxter Immigration. It's great to be with you. This is your host, Chuck Cook. I have a special guest today. I have with me uh, one of our amazing employees <laughs> who's been with us how many years? Four years. Four years. So Stephanie Lopez is joining us today in our special DACA edition of the Immigration Hour. Now, Stephanie, why do I have you on our DACA edition? Because I have DACA. I'm a current DACA recipient. I originally got it when I was, I want to say, 17 going on 18, mm -hmm. um, back when I was still in high school. And you graduated high school? Yes. Uh, and you began working here not that long after that, right? Yeah, Probably that's true. That? Yeah, I, a little after that, yeah. So here's the question I want to ask you. DACA today is uh, set for oral argument in the Supreme Court. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about the legal details about what's going on, but uh, I think it's really important to put a put a face on what is an extraordinarily important event today uh, in, uh, for, for for dreamers in the United States. Uh, what has what has DACA meant for you? A lot. I was actually recently talking to my mother about this, and we were thinking about owning a house and owning property and owning business on our own. Um, and DACA has done a lot for us in that field. I would have never been able to own a car just because all the... You can't get a license in Georgia. You can't get a you license can't get a, in Georgia. You can't get a tag in exactly. Georgia. Exactly. All of that stuff. I wouldn't be able to freely drive. I mean, the fear that most undocumented people have is incredible. I know my mom... Every time I leave the house, she is fine. I know that every time I leave the house, I'm fine. There's no worry in the world for me when I'm driving. I know a lot of people feel that a lot. Um, that's one of them. I don't I don't think I would be working here with well, you. Well, no, you definitely <laughs> wouldn't be working here because you wouldn't have a work permit. And, exactly. You know, we've, we've got to follow the law, too. Um, how is when you graduated, when you were in high school, when did you realize you were undocumented? How old were you when you kind of figured that out? When I was trying to get legal aid for, for school later mm -hmm. on. Um, they told me I couldn't get the Hope Scholarship, which mm -hmm. is one of the big things mm -hmm. in Georgia. Um, a lot of kids are looking into that, and I wanted to look into more scholarships, but I wasn't able to get them. Um, so that's when it hit me. I do have limited. And how did you feel? How did, you, how did that feel? How did you react to that? I feel hopeless. I, I remember feeling shocked that I wasn't able to do as much, and I, I just didn't know what to do with it. I felt numb, like... Basically, I wasn't able to do anything in my in my was head. Was a feeling of hopelessness? Yes, it was. So how old were you when you when you came to the United States? I was nine. So I mean, you remember Mexico at least to a certain extent. Yes, but not a lot. No, uh, when people talk about the streets or what streets I lived in, I'm I'm always like I I don't remember. Like, I tried to think <laughs> yeah. back when I was nine. It's like yeah, I got I remember the house. I yeah, lived exactly. In, I, I can't even tell you my my teacher's name from <laughs> school that year. Now I'm a little bit older than you, but. So when DACA comes along, how did you first hear about it? Do you remember? Um, yes, I was at church, uh -huh. uh, LDS member. So I was at church. They had a couple of attorneys coming in about DACA and what it meant for people because a lot of people had the fear that if you applied for DACA, that meant that you might get deported So you're going to put yourself on the government exactly. radar. So it's really an initial hesitation. Well, okay, great program, but I'm not sure I really want to be part exactly. of this. So they had a couple of attorneys talk about what it actually meant and mm -hmm. that it did not mean that and a little bit more about it. And they did free consultations in there, and I, we decided to move forward with okay. it. And you had uh, cousins and friends that, that also applied, right? Yes. I have my family. My cousin is also in, under DACA. I don't have a big family, but 
Yes, I do have many friends that are on DACA. Now, you also have a little brother and sister that are born here in the United States yes. as well. Mm-hmm. So you are, you are what we call a mixed-status family. Right? <laughs> yes, have, we are. Your parents are undocumented. You have DACA, and your little brother and sister are U.S. citizens. US citizens. How old are they? Uh, one is going on to be 13, I and the other one's that. 10. Yes. There's little kids. I knew there was just little kids. Um, so today, uh, you know, when Donald Trump was elected, he probably thought, oh, no. Yes, I cried. <laughs> I actually cried. A lot cried. of people cried. A lot of people cried because you knew he was going to end DACA. And then he didn't for a while. Yeah, uh, it was up in the air. It was up in the air. And then uh, in September of 2017, he says DACA's over. What did you think at that time? I, again, I always end up crying. My re- initial reaction is shock, pure shock. And then um, I, I took a step back and I was like, no, I, I work you know, with people that know about this, I should probably wait until we do a meeting like we always do (laughs) and see what happens. But um, the initial is shock, life as I know it would end and so on. Mm -hmm. And so then, of course, we told you, relax, we're going to win this fight. Exactly. Um, Now, uh, we won the fight at district court, won the court at the Court of Appeals. Uh, Supreme Court's now taken the case. How do you feel about today? I mean, this is got to bring up some emotions and feelings that they're arguing about you. You are literally at the Supreme Court today. I'm actually very secure on the on the issue. I, I feel that we have we have what it takes to win. I with everything has been explained to me now. I don't know a lot about law like mm-hmm. you know most people do, but I do understand that what was done with Obama was completely done correctly. What was done with Trump wasn't and I'm not sure why he didn't take the We're steps to yeah, exactly. <laughs> to actually do it correctly. But I feel I feel I feel good. I feel good today. I I think we have a chance to win, and I know that a lot of friends of ours and mm-hmm. a lot of people are down there marching and including our employees, including you know, our I'm sure employees. Sure, you wanted to be in Washington exactly. D.C. today, right? Yes, because Raymond and Marisol are up there. Yes, and, uh, and, and how, we have like six DACA, seven DACA employees, six or seven, five? about six or seven, six yes. or seven. Um, Including Gabby, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, so what do you see as the future? I mean, I, at some point, obviously, Congress has to do something. DACA is not an eternal program. wasn't meant to be an eternal program. Um, uh, do you have hope that Congress might actually fix this one day? I I hope so. I, I think it all boils down to what we or what people vote and, mm-hmm. you know, what people decide to do. Um, I know that people feel like our voices aren't heard, but... I know that Marisol Raymond and a lot of DACA people are always using their voice uh, to help other people vote and inform other people of what DACA really mm-hmm. means. So I hope Congress does something. I, I know that a pathway to citizenship or even residency would be great. Pathway to legality is what we should exactly. be focused on. Now, I have to say, I, I don't know if you've seen Donald Trump's tweet from this morning. I have not. Well, your life is better as a result <laughs> of it, but I want to ask you about it. Because he said that DACA is basically a bunch of hardened criminals. Um, I disagree on a personal <laughs> level. I know that I have done everything to the book. In fact, a lot of undocumented people know that because of, of the way that the law is, they have to be more careful. Well, exactly. I feel like it's the opposite. It, it, more people are more well, careful. Well, you're right, because actually if you have a criminal conviction, you don't have DACA. Exactly. Uh, so it is it is the ultimate provable lie just by the fact that DACA intentionally excludes anybody with actual criminal convictions. Um, so as you move forward, you move forward with a little bit of faith today, thinking, you know I what? I do. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. I love you, Stephanie. You're just amazing. <laughs> Thank Steph- you. Stephanie uh, run, is our client services coordinator. Did I get that job title right? I, I never. It is. It That's is correct. awesome. And she's been working up, up in our front desk, helping our clients for four years. And we hope you'll be here a little while longer. I right. a lot while longer as we continue the fight on DACA. We're going to take a quick break here on the Immigration Now. We'll be right back with some more about the DACA case today. Well, as we sit here, welcome back to the Immigration Now. As we sit here today, uh, the Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments in the uh, DACA case. Uh, it's humbling to think about uh, what this means to uh, three-quarters of a million uh, young men and women who have, for the last seven years, uh, used uh, this remarkable program um, to better their lives, to better their communities, uh, to better their families. Uh, Some have used it as a pathway to legality. Uh, They were able to do that. Through, uh, through marriage or through uh, family or through work. Um, it, it's been uh, a, a program that was conceived uh, in the way it was. I, I think that the folks conceiving it didn't really understand uh, the real impact it would have on America, on our politics, and on our future. Let's take a, a quick jaunt back in time to June of 2012. Uh, it's the second week of June 2012. Uh, it is the week of the annual conference of the American Immigration Lawyers. And our featured speaker uh, that day uh, was uh, uh, Director Mayorkas, who was uh, then the uh, uh, head of the USCIS. Uh, and he was scheduled to repeat to us on the, on the first morning of our conference. And uh, we were told just uh, uh, the night before that he would not be coming to our conference, that a big announcement was coming instead, and that uh, we would find out what was happening. Uh, and uh, what had been happening that summer, you know, why all of a sudden, not that, not that we always get crazy news the first week of the conference of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, or AILA, but we do get a lot of crazy stuff usually that week, timed by the agency, I think, to, uh, to shock immigration lawyers for the week they're out of the office. And, um, but up, coming up to that week, during that time frame, uh, uh, let's go back to March, April, May, uh, early June. Uh, President Obama is running for re-election, and he had already broken his promise to immigrants and their families, many, uh, many of whom U.S. citizen members had voted for him, because he promised he was going to do immigration reform, and he had bailed on that promise. He had, he had simply not, not done that promise. He had bailed on it, and um, as a result of bailing on it, uh, he... Um, uh, was people were angry with him, uh, and he had done nothing to push any type of reform in Congress up until that point. Uh, and people were angry, really, really angry with him. I remember he had to go on Piolino, um, uh, who was a popular uh, DJ in L.A. at the time, on his radio show to say, no, 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 no. we're going to work on it again. I'm sorry, we're going to work on it. I promise you we're going to work on it. And... Um, a lot of dreamers were upset. Dreamers were a group that had formed way back uh, in the in the early 2000s. Uh, let's say 2004, five, uh, six, uh, when uh, the first Dream Act was introduced by Senator Orrin Hatch, who later abandoned the the, the idea because who knows? Because Trump, whatever. Uh, but it, it was a remarkable idea to, you know, let's, let's protect these kids. Uh, they, you know, children are our future. They, they are raised here. They are Americans in every sense of the word. Uh, we should make sure that they have the ability to, uh, uh, to really 
uh, prosper in America. And these kids saw the DREAM Act die in Congress year after year after year, just die, die, die every year. And they finally got justifiably fed up, especially after Obama had promised that he was going to work on this and, and did not, not even try, thanks to Rahm Emanuel. And uh, <clears throat> when, uh, when the campaign season rolled around, the, the Dreamer kids had an idea. You know what? We're going to send a message to Barack Obama. And they began doing sit-ins at his office campaign re-election headquarters in, around the country. I know here in Atlanta, they shut it down for almost three days. And I think the message got through loud and clear, um, uh, President Obama. You know, we are not behind you unless you do something now. Uh, and he had, in fact, said uh, for the previous three years, oh, you know, I'm not a king. I can't make the law. I... And that was said, um, one, I think, out of earnestness, that he, he truly respected the Constitution and the laws, I, unlike our current guy. He truly respected them. Uh, but it also was born out of ignorance, that he did not, as Trump has now demonstrated, uh, Obama did not uh, recognize the immense authority that he had under immigration law. Perhaps um, a, a lot of us didn't really uh, appreciate what could be done administratively or by executive fiat <laughs> under our current immigration laws that our Supreme Court has authorized. I mean, the Muslim ban, nobody thought you could ban essentially Muslims from coming to the country by making up a reason. Nobody thought you could ban people from applying for asylum in the United States, even though, it, which is contrary to law in and of itself, and yet the courts have allowed both of those things to happen. So, you know, clearly Obama had the authority. Now, without those cases, it's quite clear that the president of the United States has the authority on when and how to enforce immigration law. Um, and that deferred action had existed for 60 years, uh, back to 1952, uh, under our immigration laws, and the authority of the president to grant deferred action to individuals was key. And uh, so when DACA was created as an individualized program brought out to the masses, yes, a lot of Republicans were upset that Obama was king and blah, 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 blah. I guess they can never make that claim again, right? Um, but more importantly, uh, I think what we're looking at is... Um, uh, the president at the time realized, I've got to do something, be creative. And they said, look, we have this deferred action program, and you have the authority to enforce immigration law. So let's go ahead and let's say, look, if you come forward and register with us and give us your data such that we, you know, we could deport you in the future, we're not going to, but we could, uh, we're going to go ahead and grant you work authorization under the, under the law. And uh, after DACA was created, the Obama administration then uh, processed DACA through the Administrative Procedures Act to allow for work authorizations if you had received uh, deferred action under the DACA program. Uh, that's uh, uh, C, uh, 274A12 C33. A12, 274A.12 uh, uh, Section C33. <clears throat> and so, so Obama, Obama took what was a policy memo from the Secretary of Homeland Security and then through the Administrative Procedures Act allowed for work authorizations. And uh, that's how uh, the courts that ended up upholding DACA said, look, you followed the APA. Uh, you did what you were supposed to do. Uh, and this, it, it, it takes to the hubris of Obama when a couple of years later he wanted to create DAPA but refused to go through the APA. All he had to do was go through the APA. But he refused to do it because of hubris 
And that's why DACA was struck down. That's why DACA is different from DAPA. DAPA never went through any APA process, and DACA did. Uh, so Obama's face was a dilemma. We got to do something. So literally on the, the Thursday um, uh, of our AILA conference in Nashville that year, uh, the DACA announcement is made. Uh, 4,000 immigration lawyers aren't in their office. People are freaking out. I know I did a ton of radio interviews that day from my cell phone. So much my, my phone just died by about, uh, uh, by about 2 o'clock that afternoon uh, because there was just so much going on. What is it involved? How does it work? And two months later, uh, kids began applying uh, for DACA in August of 2012. Uh, approvals began later that month and have continued uh, for the next uh, seven years and changed till today. Oh, one of the things that uh, add this history is Obama then tried to get immigration reform passed. He actually did pass the Senate through a bill that honestly was about as good a bill from every perspective, from enforcement, from benefits to the future as we were going to get. And uh, John Boehner, uh, may he live forever in infamy, refused to bring that bill up for a vote where it definitely would have passed the House of Representatives and we would have not be having the discussion today uh, that we are having and likely probably would have uh, uh, allowed, uh, not allowed pre Trump to become president uh, because he wouldn't have been able to demagogue the immigration issue because we would have solved the problem. So Boehner is, in many ways, directly responsible for Trump getting elected president. Um, so that's, that is kind of the history of the early history of DACA. Trump then runs on an anti-immigration platform. He, uh, he then is, uh, he then kind of, because Trump has wavered on DACA back and forth and he's DACA kids, um, depending on how close Stephen Miller is to him that day and, you know, what he is, uh, what uh, Miller is whispering, what you know, sweet nothings Miller is whispering into his ear about DACA kids. Um, and uh, we, uh, we expected DACA to end right away, like in January of 2017, and nothing happened. And we thought that, uh, wow, that's kind of weird. Trump is not ending DACA. Uh, but in fact, uh, it was uh, the end of DACA through uh, Jeff Sessions, who, you know, bless his heart, uh, um, ended up on the president's wrong side. Uh, but he, uh, Sessions, only wanted to be the attorney general, not to protect the president like Barr is doing. He wanted it to exercise executive fiat over immigration. He knew uh, as a as a senator involved in the anti-immigration movement for 20 years, he knew the attorney general had ultimate authority over immigration. And so he issued a policy memo to um, Christian Nielsen. He said, hey, DACA is illegal. Cancel it. And so Christian Nielsen's like, yeah, OK, DACA is illegal. I'm going to cancel it without actually talking to her own lawyers. Not that they would have been any different since they were all they were all uh, Sessions clones. Uh, but. So Kristen Nielsen and Zaka, another reason that she should never be rehabilitated and should never get a job in, in public sector or public policy ever again, besides jailing babies. Sorry for the initial rant. Uh, so they had tried to end DACA in September of 2017, and very quickly lawsuits were filed, a stay is put into place, because you cannot end by policy memo or executive fiat a program that has gone through the APA. And that's what every court that stayed the denial of DACA for the last two years and change has said. Look, you can, Mr. President, you can end DACA, but you have to follow the law. And thus, you have to go through the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, which he, 
again, in many ways, Trump and Obama are the same person. They are just full of hubris. No, I am king. I am God. I can do this by because I'm the president. And you can't. Uh, thank goodness for the Administrative Procedures Act. Uh, so the Supreme Court, and I and thought it was interesting the Supreme Court took this case after the courts of appeals up around the country, three of them upheld it, uh, because this case is strikingly similar to the census question case uh, in the context of uh, trying to do something that was created by, uh, by, uh, by the Administrative Procedures Act and trying to change it by policy memo. You, you can't do that. And I think, um, I think Roberts made that quite clear uh, in, the, uh, in the Census Act case. And it just stuns me that conservatives on the Supreme Court don't agree with that. Um, I mean, really, it's the law. So uh, Trump tries to end DACA. Stay gets put in the place. The stay, unfortunately, does not allow for new applications. So no child who's turned 15 in the last two years has been able to get their DACA, although uh, there would probably be another couple hundred thousand kids who are eligible to apply for DACA today if the program still existed for new applicants. And at its height, uh, almost I think almost 900,000 kids had DACA. Uh, that is now down to a, somewhere between 650 and 750. The numbers coming out of the administration are a little unclear. And it's not because, well, some people didn't renew, but that's a very, very small number. A lot of people were able to get green cards. Uh, and that's because, we've talked about it on our show before, if you got DACA before you were 18, you don't have any unlawful presence. So you can leave the country and, and consular process. An employer can sponsor you. Your spouse can sponsor you. A family member could sponsor you, and you can leave and come back in on a green card uh, through the immigrant visa process that exists today. Um, for those kids that uh, had unlawful presence, they married a U.S. citizen or who had a parent who ended up having permanent residence or, or citizenship, they could process for waivers. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if well over 150, maybe even up to, yeah, 150,000 150, kids have gotten green cards because they had DACA uh, and because DACA protected them long enough for uh, them to fall in love or to get a job after school. And I know we are processing green cards right now for several of our employees on DACA uh, who got DACA before they were 18 years of age. Perfectly permissible. It's not a loophole. It's the law. Now, the people over at FAIR and, and Center for Immigration Studies are really upset that DACA kids can use DACA to get a green card because they... They just want to deport everybody who's not white. Uh, but I think it's a wonderful thing that we can use the law as, as it exists uh, to get our clients green cards. I think that's an absolutely wonderful thing. And uh, so that's kind of where we are, uh, the history of DACA today. Now, we're let's take a quick break here. We're going to come back and talk about what's going on at the Supreme Court today. We'll be back in just a second. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. Great to be with you. Thank you, by the way, all of our listeners. Um, I know we picked up a lot of listeners because of uh, Senate Bill 386. Um, Congress is not technically, Senate's not technically in session right now. Um, so uh, there's nothing going on with that bill. We'll, we'll probably talk about that in a couple weeks when I come back. Uh, next week, I will actually be in Peru. Uh, and so I will not be broadcasting next week. Uh, but when we come back, we'll talk about uh, 386 and the other stuff going on. But let's talk about the preview for today's argument, which is going on. I mean, I think literally right now uh, at the Supreme Court. Uh, the case being heard today is actually a consolidation of three cases, uh, uh, those filed by California, District of Columbia, and New York. And in all three cases, so that's the Ninth Circuit, the D.C. Circuit, and the Second Circuit, 
argued that the termination of the program violated the Administrative Procedures Act. I mean, that, that, I mean it's quite clear it did. Um, and um, the Supreme Court took a year to have oral argument, to accept the case and hear oral arguments in this case. Uh, the Supreme Court, the government takes the Ubritic uh, position that, uh, that the decision to end DACA is not reviewable. Uh, the lower court, the government explained, uh, ruled that the decision to end DACA should be set aside because it's arbitrary and capricious. That is not the product of reason re- decision-making under the APA. But the government argues that a court can't review an agency's decision under the arbitrary and capricious standard if the agency's action is one that it has discretion to take. The decision to wind down a policy of not enforcing immigration laws, as the government contends, precisely the kind of quintessential action committed to the agency's absolute discretion. The joke about this is that this is not a policy not to enforce immigration law. DACA is actually an alternative enforcement mechanism in which the government has collected the data on a million people. Um, And so it is, in fact, an enforcement mechanism, just longer and drawn out. The government argues uh, that this will be their argument uh, that uh, the lower courts thought they could review the decision and DACA because the decision was based on the government's belief that DACA program violated the law. However, the government now stresses the decision rested on other non-legal reasons, although that is not, in Jeff Sessions' memo, by the way, truly one of the most poorly written legal documents to come out of the Attorney General's office. I mean, I don't know who wrote it. A lot of people suspect Gene Hamilton wrote it. Uh, it was really a piece of garbage. Um, and I think that's why they kept losing, because it's such a poorly reasoned document. Now they've technically got better lawyers arguing on their behalf. Um, so the government now stretches the decision to end DOC arrested on other non-legal reasons. <laughs> yeah, you should read Jeff Sessions' memo. The government did not want to retain a policy whose legality was, at a minimum, highly questionable. Now they're arguing, oh, it is okay, could be legal. Um, And um, they try to to analogize this to the Fifth Circuit, but the Fifth Circuit's decision was plainly based on the fact you didn't follow the APA. Um, Now, the the challengers, I mean, so really they're technically the respondents at the Supreme Court, but they were the initial challengers to the DACA decision, um, they say that the decision to end a program like DACA is the kind, exactly the kind of agency action that is, um, the challengers reject the, the government's position that, it's, that this decision is immune. But even if the decision of DACA did fall within that, quote, tradition, the courts still are able to review it because the governance rationale for ending DACA was that the program violated the law. So when, quote, when an agency determines that an action is required by law, it is not exercising discretion. Instead, the agency is concluding that it has no discretion to exercise. It makes no sense to hold that such legal determinations cannot be reviewed by, a, by the court. Um, so this is, this is absolutely a fascinating uh, issue uh, for lawyers, uh, uh, who, uh, but we should not be, uh, uh, we should not lose sight of the people, the 700 to 800,000 people, human beings, our friends, our family, our employees, uh, our, our leaders, our lawyers, even doctors, uh, that have, that will be literally subject to deport, immediate deportation, uh, if this program ends, um, the government explains uh, that it had several reasons to shut the program down, 
all of which were entirely reasonable. First, it argues that it believed the program was illegal. Okay. So that keeping it would place would be sanctioning the ongoing violation of immigration law by nearly 700,000 foreign nationals. That's, that's garbage. Uh, but, they gotta th- but that also shows why the court can renew it. Because if they believed it was legal, the court could say, well, no, you had, you had authority to do this. It's clear if the government can exclu- exclude Muslims and can bar asylum when asylum is perfectly allowable, the government could clearly do this. They clearly do DACA. Um, and in light of the legally questionable providence, uh, the government believed the best course was to orderly wind down its program on its own terms. The government also observes that it's entirely sensible for it to determine that even if it could continue DACA, it would be better to do so only with congressional approval and the political legitimacy and stability that such approval entails. Um, and so uh, the challengers say, look, yeah, and I, they can end the program tomorrow, but they have to do it under the Administrative Procedures Act. The challengers, uh, let's say 700,000 DACA kids, um, emphasize that an agency has to provide a genuine analysis and lucid explanation of the relevant policy considerations before reversing a longstanding policy and subjecting 700,000 individuals, the government calls them aliens, by the way, to deportation to unfamiliar nations where they may not even speak the language. The government's decision and DACA was, quote, almost entirely unexplained and therefore did not pass muster under the APA. Uh, in addition, the challenges argued the court has to uphold the agency's action uh, based on the rationale the agency offers. They can't create new rationale. When is here the rationale involves a legal conclusion, the agency's actions are invalid if the agency is wrong about the law, even if the action might have been justified on some other ground. The challengers argue that given DHS's power to create enforcement policies and priorities, but it didn't give enough to DHF enough funding to remove everyone without proper documentation. As a result, both Congress and the courts have recognized that DHS routinely delays deportations for people, demonstrating that DACA is a legitimate exercise of DHS's authority, which we've argued forever. Um, now, uh, it is... Uh, uh, I wish I was there today. I am so glad the room will be filled with DACA kids. Uh, I wish there was a picture of it, because I think it will... Uh, register the face of America. Uh, I don't know a singular group of young men and young women more politically active in our system than DACA recipients because they understand that they are here by the very grace of that political system. Uh, To me, DACA recipients and those who stand up boldly and apply for the program, uh, to me, they're heroes. They are heroes much like our own immigrant ancestors who facing long odds and knowing that there was nothing, uh, uh, that they were facing a future of nothingness still went forward across the seas and across the land to come here. These kids didn't have a choice about coming here, but they desperately want to stay and they're willing to fight for it. And I'm willing to fight for them. It's why we took the, the in-state tuition case forward. It's why we will continue to fight for in-state tuition for DACA recipients here in Georgia. And it's why for the last seven years and long before that, I've been on Capitol Hill every year asking my congressmen and congresswomen 
to support DACA and support a Dreamer bill. Now, the House has passed the bill. Uh, it's sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. Uh, there are 53 Republican senators standing in the way of a solution to this problem. That's it. If only 25 of them came forward, uh, we would be done. Not even 25. 19 would come forward. Uh, uh, 18, yeah, 20 would come forward. Let's do the math right. 20 would come forward and say, I'll support a DACA bill for Dreamer green cards. This, this is over if, if Mitch McConnell will allow a vote. The thing is, President tweeted real ugliness today. He's an ugly person. Let's, you know, he, he is not worthy to, to, to shine the shoes of the DACA kids in this country. He's just not. Um, and to vilify them the way he does is, you know, it's just, he's just a bad person. I think most Americans realize that. He's just not a good man. Uh, DACA kids um, deserve more. They deserve more from all of us. They deserve our phone calls to Congress. Uh, by the way, you can call your senator at 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121, and demand that, that the Senate vote on DACA, a, a full bill that is just plain and clear. DACA kids get green cards, period, end of story. You know, if enough, 76% of Americans support it. So if 76% of Americans support it, why, why don't they? Well, it's because way too many senators are in that 25%. Way too many are in that. You know, this has uh, been an emotional show. Uh, I, am, um, I am grateful for the DACA kids in my life. Uh, my, own, uh, my own remarkable, remarkable assistant, Marty Soul, is, uh, to me, a shining example of, of youth, uh, of a young woman uh, who is proud of her heritage, but who loves our country with, with a love that I think very few American, native-born kids share. And um, I will do everything possible to make sure that Marisol gets, gets to stay. Thanks for listening this week to uh, uh, the, the, the Immigration Hour. I do want to do a quick shout-out before I end, though, to Raymond Portolan, who is one of our amazing paralegals. Uh, he is the face of DACA as well. Him and Marty Soul are in uh, at SCOTUS this week. Uh, hopefully they got into the court today. And uh, he is uh, he, the mind of, of both of them. They are both brilliant young, young kids. Raymond was student body president at Mercer University. Uh, uh, just brilliant kids. Uh, we have to fix this for them, for Stephanie. You heard from Stephanie. We have to fix it for Jessica. Uh, we, ha- we have to fix it for Abby. We have to, we have to fix it for all these kids because it's, it's the right thing to do. Thanks again for sharing, um, and thanks for putting up with my emotionality today. This is Chuck Cook, your host of the Immigration Hour here uh, at Cook Baxter Immigration.